This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. So you might be wondering today, what what is the right thing to be doing with our investment? Should we be waiting? Should we invest? Should we hold cash? Um, you know, my my friend and, and guest today, Buck Joffrey, is a former physician, former surgeon that turned into a real estate investor and now has raised uh, around a billion dollars of assets to buy multifamily and other sorts of alternative assets. And he interviews economists on his show, uh, The Wealth Formula Podcast, and he works with high net worth individuals. So I'm really excited to have him today. Uh, Buck, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Yeah, I'm just, uh, we we're just talking kind of before we got started, just kind of how things have changed a little bit. You know, we're kind of uh, mid-December 2022, and, and it feels... Uh, it, it, you know, things have changed a little bit. The tide has changed. The music has stopped yeah. a little bit. Have you kind of seen that as well? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's everything's frozen. It's frozen. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, the thing is like markets, it's it's like every other market. Um, markets don't like volatility. You know, people ask me, well, does this mean the end of, you know, deal flow? No, the answer is uh, we people have always made a ton of money in real estate, right? They always have. Uh, even when uh, in the 80s, when there was double digit interest rates, it's not how high they are. It's not the absolute number. It's all about the volatility. That's what's killing everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's less predictable now than it was. And I think a lot of people just have a lot of confusion. We're seeing some of our uh, our larger investors that are are really taking this time and investing a lot right now. I think it's a very unique time that in the future of interest rates, when and if interest rates drop, uh, we could look back and say, "Yeah, I wish I may have bought a little more," but the confused mind will say to wait. Um, but I want to we want to get more into that because I know there's a lot to talk about. You bring a lot of economists on, and you are I consider you an economist yourself. I want definitely want to get into that, but I want to share a little bit more of your story because I think you have a very compelling story where you were a a plastic surgeon and you're making great money. You're kind of living the dream, according to you know probably a lot of people, and I'm sure even your parents and other you know things. Hey, this is great, and then you decide I'm going to become a real estate investor. So talk to us and, and and not no longer be a physician. So talk to us about that process and that journey and kind of how that went for you. Well, yeah, the, the, the journey is kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I started out, I think, the way a lot of um, people who get good grades or, uh, do, which is, you know, trying to figure out what to do with it. And what what does everybody do who gets good grades in high school? Will they end up going to a good college and then they try to figure out what what they're going to do for a living like what kind of job they're going to get right and and um, when you look at the options for those good students it's usually like some kind of med school or law school or business school and I think I was just kind of in that trap um, and you know I liked science and um, not initially I was like a history English guy for the first couple of years and then took a huge 180 ended up being a uh, molecular biology, biochemistry person. And uh, I think it was just because I got you know, a little bit more challenged there. And then again, it was like, okay, well, what do I do next? So I go to med school. 
right? It's a conveyor belt of our ed- educational system. Uh, and um, I went to med school and then the next thing you know, what will you do with that? Well, I don't know. I actually started out as a neurosurgery resident. I was doing brain surgery, right? Wow. And, um, but the hours sucked. <laughs> <laughs> So because stuff uh, happens when it happens, right? You're just like, yeah. hey, we got to, we got to, somebody needs brain yeah. surgery right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brain surgery. Yeah. Like it, brain trauma can never wait overnight. So I was like, okay, even though I was into it, I thought it was interesting, but I was like, I just can't do this. So ended up in plastics um, after doing an, another residency. And, um, and really from there, like, I think all th- along this line, I just, I didn't even realize I was an entrepreneur until I accidentally read Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant. Um, and I say accidentally because I wasn't interested in finance at all. It's just one of the few books that was actually available in the airport in Puerto Vallarta um, when I was coming home from my honeymoon right after residency. Uh, so I read that and I was like, whoa. And it wasn't immediate that I wanted to become a real estate guy. But what was immediate was wow, there's this whole new world out there that I had no idea that I could make my own. And it doesn't have to be being a doctor, being a lawyer, that kind of thing. So, yeah, no, it's interesting. I want to stop you for one sec. So uh, I, I liked, you know, the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a great book that everybody, a lot of people that are real estate investors say, yeah, that's what kind of helped me get my start. To me, I was like you, it was really cash flow quadrant, that yeah. second book. They really kind of got me to figure out, oh, wow, like I'm, I'm doing this wrong. This is actually how you develop cash flow that can cover your living expenses. And this is the mailbox money show. So we talk about that, like making money while you sleep and how does someone actually do that? But those are skills that you don't learn as a physician. You know, no matter how smart you are, and even sometimes the things that make you successful as a physician, you know, proving and testing and whatever, it's, it's a whole different skill set to develop passive income. Yeah. So how did you... Like, how did you make that, like, start to make that transition from one thing to the other? Well, I, you know, I started making a lot of money um, doing, um, doing surgery. Uh, I was one of the busiest sur- cosmetic surgeons in Chicago very quickly. And um, then what I was- kind of, What kind of surgeries? Was this like, uh, like uh, a cosmetics, I all kinds? Of, I, I did uh, facial plastics, so like facelifts, I did liposuction, I did, you know, uh, fat transfers. I, I did all, I did a lot of stuff okay. like that. So, but it was really high volume, did a lot of it. Um, and, uh, and when I started making money, I started trying to, you know, uh, the next thing you know is, well, where do you invest it? What do you do with it? And my, uh, my dad is, he still is, he's in his eighties, but he's, he's a real estate guy, but he's an active real estate guy, just buys apartment buildings and houses and, and that kind of thing. He'd been doing that since I was a little kid. Um, he wanted me to go into real estate uh, and had, when I told him I was going to med school, he actually was like, why are you going to do that? Don't you want to make any money? <laughs> so, uh, so your parents weren't encouraging a med school. Like your dad was like, what are you doing? Well, my like, mom always wanted a doctor just so she, you know. Yeah. My son's a doctor. A doctor right? But but my dad is extremely practical and he's like, I make more money than all the other doctors out there. I guarantee you. And I didn't really care what he said. I wasn't doing it for the money, but when I got money, I was like, okay, well then maybe I should, you know, buy some apartment buildings. So I bought some apartment buildings initially in Chicago and that they ended up doing really well. And um, then I got really interested in learning more on the topic of real estate. Um, And 
you know, I started listening to podcasts and that kind of thing. When I found I was in these podcasts that, you know, there were certain podcasts that I thought were really good, but only some of the topics really related to me as a guy who's already making, you know, seven figures. Um, I wasn't trying to figure out how to escape a, escape a cubicle. (laughs) I was trying to figure out how to deploy capital and stuff like that. Got it got uh, exposed to the idea of real estate syndication eventually, which made a lot of sense to me because then I could combine entrepreneurship with my interest in real estate uh, and also help people who were like me who wanted to deploy capital. So I started out doing a little bit of passive stuff myself initially, but then pretty quickly realized, you know, there's no reason for me to do this passively. I mean, I, I, I'm interested in, I can do this at a, um, at the GP level. So that, you know, that's, that's kind of what happened six, seven years ago. And here we are today. Yeah. It's amazing. You're, you've been like a rocket ship, man. I mean, just the, to raise around a billion dollars is really amazing and impressive. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, so just for clarity, the, yeah, that we probably are, uh, we probably, I probably raised about 700 million and that equates to, you know, about a billion and a half of assets or close to two. Um, Love it. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, just, just 700 million. That's all. So no, it is. (laughs) That's huge, man. That's awesome. Well, I love, I love your story because uh, for a number of reasons, one is that it's a common problem that a lot of people have that they make too much money. There's a money problem in the sense that, I, I pay too much in taxes. You know, if you're, especially if you live in a high tax state like California, like we live in, uh, there are physicians and high earners, business owners that are paying, you know, 50% a year or around around 50% per year. And so, you know, for me, I was paying, I wasn't making, you know, as much as you were, but I was paying maybe 25, 30% a year in taxes and I got it down. Now where I'm paying about 1%. And some people would say, even that's too much. Maybe you should get down to zero, but it's really amazing once you figure out and you understand how, you know, how you make your income really determines, you know, how you get taxed. And like just as Tom Wheelwright says, you want to change your tax, you got to change your facts. And so you began to do that. You basically went from being a, you know, in the quadrant, talks about the cash flow quadrant, right? You were a highly paid uh, S or self-employed yeah. or an entrepreneur, right. you know, like an employee, then you moved over to like an investor. And so it really helped you to be able to do that. What was the response of your, obviously your dad probably was pretty supportive of your, your move. Your mom may have been like, you know, crying at night, but, huh. but what, what was the response of some of your colleagues that were like, Dude, you've got it made here. You're making seven figures a year. Why would you ever leave that? I, that's something I encountered when I left my job. They're like, my family's like, you work 20, 30 hours a week. Like, why would you ever leave making 200K a year? Like, how did you respond to those people? Like, what did you say? Um, you know, I, I didn't really get that kind of re- response from people. Um, my practice itself went from, you know, zero to a million in less than 18 months, right? Like, that for me, that was, um, so I'd already had a, a quite a bit of success in terms of business and marketing and all the things that go into it. Um, so I think for me, people who knew me well also realized uh, what I was doing made sense because uh, I mean, I was not the type of guy who was going to be a surgeon for 25, 30 years. Uh, no, I was only a surgeon post-residency for about six, seven years <laughs> Love it. after about 20 years of training. But, um, but you know, 
that just wasn't me. So, you know, a lot of people, um, I think would like to make that move, but they invested so much time into education and training and all that, that they wouldn't actually make the leap for me. I, you know, I have a little bit of ADD. So like, I'm okay, well, you know, I'm not super happy doing this, so I want to do something else. And okay. What did I have going on at the time when I did this? I mean, I just I was married for a little bit over a year. We just had our baby. Uh, um, and, and at that time, I was like, okay, well, I got plenty of time to screw up. I can always go back if I want to. Right. So that's what I did. Yeah, that's what I figured too when I was getting ready to leave. And I think it's uh, leave my job is that I thought, you know, if it doesn't work out, I could always go back and find another job. And I think that's the concern a lot of people have. Uh, especially it's the weirdest thing when I was, I didn't really come from an entrepreneurial family. And so mm-hmm. like my own, my, everybody's a teacher, like my dad's a teacher, my mom's a teacher, my siblings are teachers, everybody, like my aunt and uncle, grandmother, everybody's, everybody's teacher. So like, it's all about the safe, secure job, right? So it's the opposite of the like rich dad, poor dad, like get a safe, secure job. And how do you actually leave and go the other way? Mm-hmm. But I think it's the same thing that exists for people that maybe are later on in their career, and they're like, I've got enough, but it just feels kind of scary to take the leap. Do you have any advice for people that maybe are doing this from a passive standpoint that are like, you know, I've got enough cash flow or I'm getting, I'm getting there, but how do I actually know when it's the right time to leave a job? Well, I, I will say that I, I actually don't believe everybody should leave their job. No, I think right. that uh, um, to a certain extent, I think you, I'm guessing you probably have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to you knowing from uh, the entrepreneurs organizations and stuff. Um, but you guys would probably agree with me that a lot of times you're born this way, right? You have a drive that's a little bit different, uh, a little bit of shiny object syndrome or something like that, where you want, where you're constantly like striving towards, um, something else. You know, one of my, one of my friends who is like one of the most incredible entrepreneurs I've ever met. I don't know if you know, uh, George Newberry. No, uh, I don't. No, George is a, he's a, he's just fascinating story, but he, he's, you know, he's got, he's been a massive real estate syndicator. Now he's got one of the biggest, uh, uh, private notes shops in the, in the country. And anyway, he's just, He's just never ceases to amaze me how much he's done. But the reason I bring up George is like, you know, I had this conversation with him and about like entrepreneurship and like, do you choose to be an entrepreneur? He's like, no, he's like, of course not. It's actually kind of a curse, right? Because for those people who are really driven, a lot of times they put their families in a lot of stress, right? I mean, like, and, and, and so that's, mm. that's part of it. And then a lot of people think that entrepreneurs are in it for the money, but George said it best. He says, because George is not a money person. Like he's always been a very like, you know, lives very, even though he's doing really well, he, he doesn't live like this glamorous life. Um, but his, his statement was that entrepreneurs, um, you know, are there for the game and the way they know if they've won the game is if they make money. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's what drives us ultimately. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. So my, my point in saying all of this is that like, I don't think everybody is wired 
for this. And it's not necessarily the worst thing. Now, to your point, um, you can still get the benefits of a lot of those types of things uh, through passive investing. And I think that's where certainly my uh, audience at Wealth Formula is really geared towards. So, yeah. No, it's love. And that's a great segue too. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about your show, uh, the wealth formula, because you've been bringing a lot of economists on. Everybody wants to know what's happening. You know, what should I be doing? What's next? Um, what are you seeing right now, particularly in uh, the economy in multifamily? I'd love to just know your thoughts. Yeah. Well, I think, okay, so this is the, I think again, just because of the lack of certainty markets hate uncertainty, right? And that's what's happening in the real estate markets. They're, they're frozen in multifamily. I don't know. Uh, I, I hear some people are buying. I don't know how they're buying. And I don't know how they're buying because I don't know how you can possibly underwrite in this environment, right? You can, you can, I don't care what the rates are. That's not the case. Again, it's an absolute, you know, you, but you have to have an assumption when you're underwriting. And if yeah. you can't have an assumption, I don't know how you're underwriting. And so um, we are in defense mode. Like we just want to like make sure that we take care of the assets that we have. Um, you know, I've heard again, uh, others doing acquisitions. I can't figure out from the life of me how they're doing that. I mean, we have access to I mean, we have access to a lot of deals and there's very few deals out there and, and they're not penciling out. Right. So, so I think eventually um, that's going to change, but it hasn't changed yet. Uh, And I think there probably will be an opportunity for those who are patient in the multifamily space um, to pick up some assets that uh, will probably be sold in some level of the distress. Right. So, yeah, and that's an interesting point. I, Bloomberg came out with an article recently that uh, Americans uh, at the pandemic, time of the pandemic, and their savings accounts had a trillion dollars in savings. Well, now there's $5 trillion in savings. So about 5x the amount that Americans have in savings. There's a lot of money on the sidelines. So do you, you do think that, uh, that some deals may could get in trouble and they need to be helped out? Do you think it comes down to the ones that are will struggle? Is it been just an underwriting issue or is it more of like, class A or class B, is there a certain type of property that you see that is most at risk in that? Yeah, I think there's, <clears throat> there's a few things there to unpack. And one is the, uh, so what, what types of properties are going to struggle? I mean, obviously um, a lot of value add um, buyers use floating rates, uh, which is, you know, it sounds dangerous, but if you're, you tend to move pretty quickly, it's, it's not necessarily the case. However, uh, you know, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of people have been protected thus far with these various interest rate caps that were purchased. Um, but what we're going to do, a lot of that happened in like around 2019 and we're in a situation right now where I think in the first quarter or so, a, a, a big number of those are going to start to, uh, expire. And then you're going to figure out who's swimming naked. 
Right. I mean, the, the caps themselves will expire or the, right. the two year. Okay. Cause they get, it's like a two year, I think it's 85 to 90%. And I could be wrong on this. You probably know better than me, but uh, 85 to 90% of large multifamily is done with bridge debt. Yeah. So a lot of REITs, a lot of people are doing this. And so there's a point where you have those caps, the interest rate caps, and they're like 20 times as expensive now as they were a year ago. It's crazy. <laughs> exactly. Because some people literally speculated on the cost of those and were making money just on buying and selling the caps if you could pursue yeah. that coming, which you know nobody really did. So you're saying it goes for two years, and at that point, there's kind of a reset. So pretty much a lot of these people there's have reset, to sell. You either got to either you got to pay ten times as much as you paid for another rate cap, or you can't afford it anymore, and you're you're toast, right? Like you you're going to have to sell in in some level of distress. So um, that that I think will ultimately when that starts happening, I think we're going to start seeing. Um, you know, we'll see, you know, some opportunities in the market and hopefully uh, that will coincide with a relatively stable interest rate market as well. Right. So you go, let's go back to that, what you mentioned about uh, volatility and it's true in the stock market, right? If there's volatility, it's just like, you know, the VIX goes crazy, which is the measure of volatility and investors freak out. Everybody's like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Whatever is kind of freaked out. And so I see a lot of people right now waiting. And I think, you know, there, on, on my thought, I can see that the negative of it is that inflation is high and you're losing maybe some purchasing power through inflation. But on the other hand, uh, having some dry powder is obviously helpful. Yeah. Um, what, for you, I don't know if this isn't too personal to ask, but uh, for you, if you had the ideal portfolio, how much, what, what percentage of your total assets would you like to have in cash on the sides right now? You know, I think that question is a tricky one because it depends how much money you make. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I was asking about you and then you don't have to share if it's you know, um, just ideal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd like to have more cash than I do right now. Um, like most real estate investors, I am uh, hugely incentivized by the government to dump massive amounts of money just into real estate, right? Um, so, I mean, I, I, I don't know, I maybe, I don't know how, uh, how to say how much, but I, I think you got to have enough where you feel, um, like you're potentially ready for something, maybe, uh, maybe for an investment or two and also still potentially keep, you know, a month or two of, of income on top of that. You know, I don't like cash in general. Yeah. So I don't have much. That's why I don't stock it around much because you know, right now, especially in an inflationary environment, you're literally losing. I mean, that you want a way to guarantee losing money. It's like keep cash, right? Like, yeah. It, here. It, it, yeah. And this, this is the point kind of that I see everybody, you know, it's like the confused mind says to wait. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, the lose the loss of purchasing power over the next two years. And I know you do so, things like the, like the ATM yeah. fund and you do things like, you know, real estate, you're doing these alternative yeah. assets. You had a, a private deal you had recently and uh, your network you sent out. And so just, you know, having other things that I, the, the idea of cash is trash. And I think a lot of times retail investors are just, I'm just going to wait. And I don't foresee a situation where having large, like having 50% of my net worth in cash being a good idea. Like at any point now, I'd like to have about 95% invested in deals and like 5% available. Right. It sounds like you're kind of similar to that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can do the numbers, but a I'd say probably that's fair, but, uh, I, you know, I think, um, the other thing to think about right now is I think, you know, you alluded to, there's other things outside of real estate 
And um, you're right, like we're very specifically searching right now for opportunities that are, um, you know, that are, are re really not related at all to the markets and that are potentially recession proof because they are needed, you know, needed type investments, things that you can't live without um, or countries can't do without and that kind of thing. Um, so there's that, there's also, there's an opportunity, obviously, um, you know, for some, all market, there's a lot of things on sale. I mean, if you're a Bitcoin person, you know, buy some yeah. Bitcoin now, cause it's not going to stay at 16, 17,000. Right. So, um, and actually, you know, we're, we're looking into, um, an energy, um, an alternative energy, uh, system for mining and uh right now is a good time for mining too if you're interested in that kind of thing because mining equipment is is priced uh based on the the the, the cost of bitcoin so yeah you know right now it's pretty damn cheap compared to where it was you know six months a year ago so um so there's lots of opportunities out there i think it's important not to get as an investor, I mean, ultimately, yeah, I, I am largely a real estate investor, but as an investor in general, you, you really want to uh, make sure that you're not, you know, a, a one hit wonder. Yeah. Well, and it's really a good point, Buck. And I think this is something that you do as well Is that, you know, we're both real, like real asset investors. So real estate is part of that. And there's other things. And it's like, you know, you kind of, you know, if you just sit there and you know, all I do is, is multifamily, well, maybe multifamily isn't the right deal for you to do based on your goals and your objectives right now, but maybe other types of investments, energy, ATM machines, private deals, private equity, venture, and there's all kinds of stuff out there that we're getting into one that's kind of a technology around oil and gas. That's really exciting. So there's things that are like really kind of unique that are out there. Um, I wanted to ask you kind of, I got a couple more questions to ask you. I just think you're, you're like the most interesting man in the world, Buck. You have like so many interests that you do, but I need uh, like a mirror or something. I know. I see the Dos Equis in the background there somewhere on the wall. Right? Um, but I wanted to ask you, I know you're big into uh, kind of like me, you're into biohacking and health stuff. And I mean, you, we've talked, you know, about, you know, a lot of the, you know, Peter Diamani stuff and the life yeah. extension programs and all this. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. And just what do you think kind of the layperson needs to know about, um, you know, just some of these trends that are, are coming out now, because I've, I've understood that from the time there's a new medical discovery, it can take 19 years until that actually is in common practice. But there are other things like supplements. There's things that are out there like tests and continuous glucose monitoring that I know you're involved with. Can you just share a little bit about kind of what people should know about uh, you know, the first wealth being health. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the one thing that if, if you're not following this topic of longevity at all, I would highly encourage you to do so. Like that was, would be my first thing because we, I do think we're on the precipice of something, um, that's really, uh, this is going to change the way we live and change mankind. I really do. Um, the, the fundamental change in thinking uh, for longevity scientists is that all of what we consider causes of death, you know, whether it's cardiovascular disease or cancer, diabetes or whatever, these are ultimately symptomatic of one primary disease and that is the disease of aging. So that if we can tackle 
or combat uh, the aging process and that disease, we therefore can potentially live a lot, lot longer um, because we're actually dealing with it at the source. The source problem is aging. It's not the disease. And there's a huge amount of money going into that research, enormous amounts. And you can imagine who's dumping all that money into it because, you know, obviously I'm a, you know, Gen X guy. I was in college right around when the internet was just invented. Uh, my my ex-wife was at Stanford with like the Google guys and stuff like that back in the day. Yeah. But guess what? We're all getting older. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. all getting older. And a lot of those people who uh, who were part of that are now, they've made like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars. And now they're like, damn, I can't beat this like dying thing eventually. Right. So yeah. maybe, maybe I ought to be investing in that. So there's an enormous amount of money going into longevity research. And we have a lot of interesting um, knowledge already that, that I think people can start applying today. Now there is there, this is a science that is pretty new, right? So the inherent problem with in, you know, starting something, the inherent part uh, difficulty in longevity medicine is, you know, like to see if something actually really works. <laughs> it takes 50 years, right? <laughs> it's going to take a few years. And by that time, well, you may not care anymore because you're dead. Right. And, um, and so uh, what's happened is that a lot of people have taken this into their own hands and say, well, okay, Maybe we don't have human data on this, but we know that in mice that this happens. We know that monkeys, this is what happens. And I think what you're seeing um, out there right now is a lot of that, which you know could end up being very helpful. So yeah, there are certainly lots of longevity um, uh, hacks for sure out there right now. Yeah, no, I, I find it really fascinating. It's something I'm, I'm definitely following and interested in as well. Cause I, I, I worked in the medical field for 10 years and I saw people that, you know, at 60 were kind of on their last leg versus, you know, if they'd taken care of themselves and hadn't smoked and maintained a healthy weight and just done basic health things, they could live another 20, 30 years. But this was a whole nother, uh, what you're talking about is a whole nother thing that to be able to extend even beyond that. So, um, awesome, man. Well, Hey, I just want to say, Buck, I really appreciate you. I've always appreciated your, uh, approach to finance and life and just the way that you look at things, you bring experts in. I highly recommend everybody checks out your podcast, The Wealth Formula. I know you have an ebook on your website, but how can people uh, get in touch with you and follow you, learn about your deals and, and learn more about, more about you? Well, if you listen, if you listen to the, the podcast, it's uh, Wealth Formula Podcast. It's wealthformula.com. I mean, that's pretty much how to find me. I mean, I'm, I'm on social media, but it's kind of funny. Like, you know, it's never really been a big part of what I do. You know, I think it's because a lot of these, uh, you know, Twitter, I, most of my, most of my listeners are middle-aged professionals and I don't, I don't think they're Twitter types. <laughs> yeah. They're not, they're not on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So even though I'm getting, you know, 40, 50,000 downloads or whatever, there's just not that many people on Twitter, but, um, I post on there as well. Uh, it's just Buck Joffrey and. And, uh, but yeah, the usual outlets. Okay. Awesome. Well, Buck, thanks for coming and, and joining us. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Bronson. 
All right. So one thing that I thought was really interesting about this interview is that Buck kind of said two things that were kind of uh, almost a little contradictory, right? He's like, if you have cash, there could be some great buying opportunities in multifamily coming. But he also said, I don't have much cash. I don't like being in cash because of inflation, right? And I'm kind of of that same persuasion. It's like, yeah, there could be a moment where cash, having cash sitting around could become very handy, but it's not worth the cost of holding the cash until it's time to deploy it. Because if it takes a year and you've lost 15% due to inflation, um, you know, is, the, is there gonna be a 15 or 20 or 30% discount to cover that? I'm not sure that there is gonna be. So that's why I'm trying to deploy about 95% of what I have into multifamily or other types of alternative assets. Another thing that came out for me was interesting from this interview is that Buck also is not a one trick pony, right? He's not only doing multifamily, he's looking at other assets. There's private equity deals, there's energy deals, there's things, there's other types of cash flowing deals that he's doing. And that's exactly what we're doing at Bronson Equity as well. We're trying to find things that just, you know, no matter what the asset is, is what is the risk profile and what does it do for you? Does it help you reduce taxes? Does it help you increase cash flow? And whatever it can do for you, it can help get you where you want to go, whether it's real estate, it's ATM machines, it's some sort of private deal. So I encourage you, whatever you're doing, um, to look at the investment itself and see what the profile is and see what fits for you. And it may be that, you know, maybe multifamily in this season is a little more tricky to get or tricky to find. It's not that deals are not there. There are deals in every market. So keep your eyes open. But uh, there can be other deals as well that make a lot more sense. So I hope you enjoyed this interview today. Um, I really enjoyed uh, interviewing Buck, just feel like he's a real rock star in the space. And I wanted to go through, if you wouldn't mind taking a minute, this really helps us out, giving us a five-star review on iTunes. Um, we go through, I read all the reviews and we've got some awesome reviews. But what, I actually take some time on these shows and I read uh, one of the reviews. So I'm gonna read one of the reviews now. And let's see here, I'm gonna go read one of the reviews. Um, okay, so this is from, probably people don't put their, their name on here, but this is, um, it says, you need this show. Bronson is an amazing investor, a genuine guy who shares great wisdom about life, investing, and so much more in the show. I've learned so much from Bronson over the years and look forward to tuning in every, in this show every week. This is from Cody. Uh, I believe it's Cody Laughlin. Doesn't say last name. It just kind of, a lot of people are doing code names on here, but I will go through and read one of these. I try to read one at every, um, time we do it. So please go in and give us a five-star review, the Mailbox Money Show. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Mailbox Money. If you have not joined our investment club, we've got some awesome things in the pipeline that you got to check out. So check that out at Bronson Equity. We look forward to catching up in the next episode. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in next time for more Mailbox Money.